Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Before and After. It's based on the lectionary readings for Sunday, November 28, 2010, the first Sunday in Advent. This Sunday, Christians begin a new liturgical year. According to the Revised Common Lectionary, we're beginning the so-called Year A cycle of scripture readings. Such lifeless language obscures an important point, though. Starting our new year in November, before the old year has even ended, reminds us that Christians think about the nature and significance of time in our own unique way. Our new year begins with Advent a time when we commemorate the Adventus of Jesus, his coming, arrival, or birth into our world. Sometime around the 6th century, the tradition emerged to set aside four weeks before Christmas, beginning with the Sunday closest to St. Andrew's Day on November 30th, as a period to look both backwards in history and forward to the future. First, then, believers look backwards in celebration of the birth of Jesus. Christians live in normal time, just like everyone else, of course, but within our normal chronos of days, weeks, months, and years, we discern moments of God's special intervention called kairos. The birth of Jesus was just such a moment. When the time came, reads Luke 2.6, Mary gave birth not just to any baby boy, but to what Revelation 19.3 calls the King of the Ages, the Lord of all time and history. In the fullness of time, writes Paul in Galatians 4.4, God sent forth his Son to redeem humanity. After living in total obscurity for about 30 years, Jesus burst onto the public scene and proclaimed that in his own person, God's kairos has come and his kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news, Mark 1.15. In Jesus, creation in the beginning time met redemption in the fulfillment of time at Bethlehem's midpoint of human history. The British poet U.A. Fanthorpe, born in 1929, was the first woman nominated professor of poetry at Oxford University. I love how her poem B.C.A.D. captures the unremarkable circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus and and of how Kairos invades Kronos. All time and history, says Fanthorpe, are now marked by the before and after of the baby Jesus. Listen to Fanthorpe's poem, B.C. A.D. This was the moment when before turned into after, and the future's uninvented timekeepers presented arms. This was the moment when nothing happened, Only dull peace sprawled boringly over the earth. This was the moment when even energetic Romans could find nothing better to do than counting heads in remote provinces. 
And this was the moment when a few farm workers and three members of an obscure Persian sect walked haphazard by starlight straight into the kingdom of heaven. During Advent, Christians celebrate that ordinary night as the most extraordinary juncture in human history. For on that night, we read in 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ, reconciling the cosmos to himself. It was a night when eternity invaded time, when the sacred embraced the profane. At Advent, Christians also looked forward in expectation of Christ's future coming to that time when God will culminate what he has now only inaugurated, when he will finish what he has started and will fulfill what he has promised. For believers, history is going somewhere and not nowhere. Time is proceeding in a distinctly linear fashion rather than in a cyclical or meaningless manner. The readings this week contain a veritable lexicon about future time. All of the everyday words about the future, though, are used in unique ways and invested with new meaning. Isaiah's poetry considers the last days, Isaiah 2.2. Paul writes to the believers in Rome not just about any day, but about the day. Not just about any hour, but about the hour. He writes about daytime and nighttime, darkness and light, in metaphorical ways to make a very literal pastoral point. Understand the present kairos in order to live your life in light of that future day. Romans 13, 11 to 14. And in the Gospel of Matthew for this week, Jesus tells us to keep watch and to be ready for that day or hour. 2436, by which he means the end of the age, 243, in stark contrast to any old day in which people eat and drink and buy and sell. At Advent, we connect these two horizons, celebration of Jesus' past birth and expectation of his future coming. We live our present days in light of that future day. At our best, we live with the presence of the future and even usher in that future day today in ways large and small. Consider Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 29 to 31. The kairos is short. This world in its present form is passing away. Scholars debate what Paul meant when he said that the time has been shortened. Perhaps his death was imminent. Perhaps he believed that Jesus was to return soon. Or maybe he alluded to specific matters at Corinth that are now lost to us. Whatever he meant, there's no ambiguity about the response he urged due to the crisis of the Kairos. He cautioned against any postponement entanglements or distractions. He eliminated any middle ground and called for an either-or decision. The married, <coughs> the sad, the exuberant, the buyers and sellers should all live as if 
the normal canons of Kronos did not adhere. The past fulfillment in Jesus in future foreshortening of God's kairos meant that one could no longer live life business as usual. The kairos of God's future kingdom subverts the chronos of the present time. The Jesuit priests and peace activists Daniel Berrigan captures the tension between the inauguration of God's kingdom with the birth of Jesus and its culmination in his future coming. Each year at this time, I love to confess with him his Advent Credo. Listen to the Advent Credo by Daniel Berrigan. It is not true that creation and the human family are doomed to destruction and loss. This is true. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It is not true that we must accept inhumanity and discrimination, hunger and poverty, death and destruction. This is true. I have come that they may have life, and that abundantly. It is not true that violence and hatred should have the last word, and that war and destruction rule forever. This is true. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting, the Prince of Peace. It is not true that we are simply victims of the powers of evil who seek to rule the world. This is true. To me is given authority in heaven on earth, and lo, I am with you even until the end of the world. It is not true that we have to wait for those who are specially gifted, who are the prophets of the church, before we can be peacemakers. This is true. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions and your old men shall have dreams. It is not true that our hopes for liberation of humankind, of justice, of human dignity, of peace, are not meant for this earth and for this history. This is true. The hour comes, and it is now, that the true worshipers shall worship God in spirit and in truth. So let us enter Advent in hope, even hope against hope. Let us see visions of love and peace and justice. Let us affirm with humility, with joy, with faith, with courage, Jesus Christ, the life of the world. For books this week, I review Charles Peters. The title of the book, Lyndon B. Johnson. New York Times Books, 2010, 199 pages. If, like most people, you don't have time to read one of the two trilogies about Lyndon Johnson by Robert Caro or Robert Dalek, this brief biography by Charles Peters is a reliable and readable substitute. Peters admires Johnson, but he's by no means uncritical. 
His ten short chapters make brisk reading and revolve around Johnson's personal life and foibles, his domestic legislative victories, and his foreign policy failure in Vietnam. Many people remember Johnson for his crude and abusive behavior, and with good reason. He inherited from his father, Sam, a propensity for heavy drinking, by one account, a fifth of scotch per day, a passion for politics even while in college, and boundless ambition and backslapping. Johnson had a volatile personality, what Peter Peters calls a gift for psychophancy, a reckless swagger about numerous, numerous affairs with little care to hide them, and a propensity to humiliate his staff in public. Johnson arrived in Washington in 1931 to work for the Texas Congressman Richard Kleberg, and he stayed there for all but two of the next 37 years, when in 1968 he withdrew from the presidential election and Richard Nixon followed him. Historians remember Johnson for his legislative mastery, and in particular for his passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, and the passage of Medicare. But these historic measures stand in stark contrast to his failure in Vietnam. In Peters' view, Johnson bore his own blame for the disaster in Southeast Asia, but many others were complicit, he says, namely the press, both political parties, all except one of Johnson's national security advisors, and even the whole country. In fact, until his last year in office, most people agreed with his prosecution of the war, and his ratings remained high. Recent history has been kinder to Lyndon Johnson than the later opinion of his own day. Peters places him in a category of great presidents just below the top tier of Washington, Lincoln, and Roosevelt. Of all our presidents, he writes, only Franklin Roosevelt can match Johnson's legislative record. And no one did more for blacks in the cause of civil rights since Abraham Lincoln. As for his dark personality, his wife's secretary concluded, that's just him. You have to face the fact that he was that way. You had to accept him, warts and all. The author is Charles Peterson, Charles Peters. The title of the book, Lyndon B. Johnson. For film this week, we go to France in a film called A Prophet from the year 2009. I resisted watching this long two and a half hour film because of its graphic violence in coarse language. It is, after all, a crime thriller set inside a foreboding French prison. But Jacques Audiard's film is artfully made and has won numerous international awards, including an Oscar nomination for Best Foreign Film. The story revolves around the character transformation of a 19-year-old French Arab named Malik, who has been sentenced to six years in prison. In no time at all he is offered, quotation marks, protection from the aging Corsican mob boss Cesar Luciani, 
which protection he very much needs, he can't refuse and must pay for by doing the criminal biddings of Caesar, both inside and even outside the prison. Malik is transformed from an innocent inmate into the Corsicans, a dirty Arab who is under the total control of Caesar, into an accomplished criminal himself. The movie is scary enough as a genre prison film, and even more so as a graphic social commentary on a brutal aspect of French society. The film is in French and Arabic, with English subtitles. The title of the film, A Prophet. And finally, for poetry this week, in keeping with the first Sunday in Advent, we've posted a poem by Christopher Harvey. Christopher Harvey lived from 1597 to 1663. The title of his poem, The Nativity. Unfold thy face, unmask thy ray. Shine forth, bright sun, double the day. Let no malignant misty fume, nor foggy vapor once presume to interpose thy perfect sight this day, which makes us love thy light forever better, that we could that blessed object once behold, which is both the circumference and center of all excellence, or rather neither but a treasure unconfined without measure, whose center and circumference, including all preeminence, excluding nothing but defect, and infinite in each respect, is equally both here and there, and now and then and everywhere, and always one himself the same, a being far above a name. Draw near then, and freely pour forth all thy light into that hour, which was crowned with his birth, and made heaven envy earth. Let not his birthday clouded be, by whom thou shinest, and we see. Christopher Harvey, The Nativity. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for the first Sunday in Advent, November 28, 2010. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.